Okay, welcome back to the Sunday Show. Shane Coleman with you until noon today. Now we are focusing for these two hours of the programme today on those uh, dreadful attacks in Paris on Friday night. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Robert Fox, defence correspondent with the London Evening Standard, and by Declan Power, security and defence analyst. Um, Robert, just uh, to start with you first, defending a city against an attack like this, uh, I mean, I, I, I understand questions, I suppose, will be asked about, for example, uh, counter the, the counter-terrorism authorities in, in Paris, but it, in some ways it's almost impossible to anticipate and police against an attack like this? Well, <laughs> they knew something was on the way. Uh, there was something in the air because of the upcoming uh, climate conference. And the, uh, lots of your eyewitnesses, front of mine, have observed there was plenty of military muscle on the streets of Paris uh, on Friday, uh, probably gendarmerie, because... Hollande and uh, Kaznov, the uh, interior minister, had made a point about a heightened security alert because of the climate conference. But um, there are some strange uh, uh, strings now uh, floating in the wind. One is, of course, as opposed to London, where it is a disease, um, the absence of CCTV is really quite striking. Um, it is interesting, so far out from this, there is very little indication, apart from uh, circumstantial mention of two cars, as to how these people, uh, the, the, the shooters, uh, were delivered. And technically, that's quite different, difficult. It looks, it looks quite simple, but to deliver three, time, three teams to do a kamikaze hit pretty well synchronized because the one thing that will make the synchronization go wrong if you see what i mean is if they communicate between each other that was done so it was very good indeed there was stuff in place but the interesting thing is one of the two people that have been identified so far is a man who is called ismail m who was on the radar uh uh and is an islamist an extremist but not thought to be dangerous and um Here's uh, 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 an interesting thing. He comes from Courcouron, about 20 uh, kilometers south of the center of Paris, if I've got it right, uh, which is where the, uh, the, the, the brothers, who were the perpetrators at the heart of the Charlie Hebdo attack, came from. So there's something they knew and there's something that, that, that they didn't. But those two things is that there does seem to be uh, lax tracking, if, it's, if you see what I mean. Mm. And also the fact is, you know, nowadays, if this was actually, I'm not saying good old Britain, it's actually bad old Britain in some ways. But by now, if the same thing had happened, the newspapers, the television would have been flooded with CCTV footage of this. Okay. Uh, Declan, do you want to take up that point? Does this <clears throat> suggest there were, again, obviously difficult to please, but that there were failings on, on the front? Uh, absolutely. I know it was, it was quite interesting listening to what Robert had to say, because um, while he's completely right about the CCTV, he'd probably also agree that France uh, would certainly give, or Paris rather, would give uh, London a run for its money with the amount of armed police units. I mean, you have, you mentioned the gendarmerie, you have uh, within the national police, you have the RAID organisation and the uh, brigade uh, of re- uh, for research and intervention. I and mean, these are mobile uh, intervention teams that are constantly on standby uh, and are given different sectors of the city to respond to. And in addition to that, they're linked in with these, uh, supposedly linked in with these tactical type intelligence 
intelligence units. So, you know, France really did seem to have its eye off the ball because the man you mentioned at the start of this was already a under the attention of the authorities. So they weren't complete, as we a phrase we used to use here uh, during the bad old days of provisional IRA terrorism, they weren't complete lilywhites. Uh, it's now emerging that there were at least two, uh, I think, that were known to the authorities. And that, <clears throat> this is a colossal lapse, uh, and certainly within the DGSI, the French Internal Intelligence uh, Directorate, there will be serious questions being asked. Now, going back then to the uh, how these people manoeuvred normally, uh, you know, in their planning, in their operation, there would be some sort of chatter that would come to the attention of the authorities of an operation of this magnitude, uh, whether internal or indeed external. And this is another lapse within the uh, French system. Normally, they're external. The DGSA, their external intelligence service, <coughs> are very well plugged in within the Arab world, within North Africa, within the Middle East. They have a lot of leverage there. And obviously none of this was picked up in the same way. And if you think about it, it's not that long ago then we heard about the uh, what seemed to be a lone wolf type attack on a train where a number of young uh, American holidaymakers and one uh, Air Force man tackled the guy to the ground. Uh, obviously it's not that long since the Charlie Hebdo attacks. <clears throat> and one wonders what, uh, what sort of lapse has happened here. I, I'm also concerned as well uh, in terms of hearing about things to do with the um, the Syrian supposedly or allegedly uh, Syrian citizen uh, involved it's nearly it's nearly too good to be true for the anti-refugee lobby yeah. you know I, I do have a, a number of concerns about how this is panning out Robert you were you were <coughs> agreeing there I mean what what do we know at this stage about the was it one or potentially two of the attackers were told could have come via one of the Greek islands from from Syria they're saying, you put it absolutely beautifully, it's potentially two. One, uh, the Greek authorities, because of the passport, which I absolutely agree with, Declan, is very convenient and it's very suspicious. And one of the things one wants to know very quickly there, by the way, what condition was the passport uh, in? Was it in pristine condition or was it bloodied? Was it, you know, if it had been part of his, uh, on his clothing uh, when uh, the suicide vest went off? I mean, it, 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 it is too pat, if I could put it like that. Once the passport came up, you're absolutely right. Immediately, the Greeks said, oh, yes, we know about him. He was registered on October the 3rd, very precisely, when he came through Leros. And by the way, we think another one has come through uh, 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 through, through Leros. You're quite right. The, 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 the serious end of the human rights uh, uh, um, uh, constituency, and I was on with one on the BBC last night, they are very, very concerned that this is being instrumentalised already politically to deal with it. There you are, you know, that the, 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 this is a way that you could come in. It is a way that you could come in. But for goodness sake, don't try and plant stuff or preempt uh, a, 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 a evidence before we really understand how this happened. I mean, what the French have to answer is why these people could create such kind of a damage in the way like Beslan, it's actually very Chechen in style, what they did in mm. the concert hall. Yeah. I mean, who was behind it? And the great thing that the great Louise Richardson, um, uh, a co-national of yours, you know, the now the vice chancellor yeah, uh, at Oxford, Richardson. her lovely book, I mean, because it's lovely because it's so clear in a very muddy world, what do terrorists want? 
What do they think these people really were doing? What was the objective? Was it uh, uh, Day of the Jackal style stuff that they really wanted to get? The main objective was to get into the stadium, possibly to blow up the president. Uh, it, it, there's been a lot of obfuscation. I'm afraid, I'm just to leap on a bit. I think that this is a byproduct of the French Napoleonic system of investigation. I mean, for goodness sake, there are going to be 24. Uh, magistrates leading this investigation. And if you just have to watch, you know, the movies of Engrenage, a spiral as it is in the English language, yeah. to see where that gets you. Just before I go, go back to Declan, do you have a view on what their objective was? I think some of the best writing uh, in the British UK metropolitan press has been by Patrick Coburn. And he and I quite separately had concluded ISIS in its zone, ISIS, Daesh, call it what you like, is under pressure. Yes. I put it like that. Look, they didn't trigger this simply because jihadi jihad M-Wires was taken out by a US drone or that Sinjar Mountain had fallen. But if you look all round, and Patrick does it very well in the Sunday Independent in England today, is that they had been under pressure all round, both in Syria and in Iraq, and by the way, had done really dreadful things. I mean, this is this is just a, one of the acts, but the, they did a terrible bombings in Baghdad in the past ten days, and a dreadful one in Beirut, which killed uh, 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 over thirty. Can I just add? The point is that it's it's stereoscopic, or it's two or three dimensions or levels. But the fact that they are declared Islamic State their territorial integrity is very important to them. Yes, they're a notion, an idea, an, I, 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 an ideology. Yes, they exist in cyberspace, but they also rely on facts on the ground. And they are beginning to face real pressure because it looks as if Raqqa faces being cut off from the Iraqi uh, heartland, Raqqa in Syria, from uh, the main supply route, which they desperately need to Mosul. Uh, Declan, you you were nodding your head in agreement with Robert there. Yeah, uh, Robert's the first one I've heard uh, outside of um, outside of here uh, since yesterday to mention the facts of the the losses of territory and the the conventional military pressure that ISIS or Daesh are under, uh, and I think that's significant. I think that they have been uh, ex- they've been looking geopolitically at their situation. I think that you've got to remember that. Um, as an organization, we see them as uh, ideologues and extremists and cutting the heads off people. But uh, from a geopolitical and strategic point of view, you have a lot of the old officer, Sunni officer corps of Saddam's army that are running the show militarily. And they're, they've shown themselves to be quite competent uh, in doing what they've done uh, and working with what they've had. But it's always been said that once a bit of pressure was going to be brought to bear in them, that they, they wouldn't necessarily, they're not supermen, they're not the invincible thing they like to claim they are. Uh, they've uh, had significant losses south of Aleppo from the combined, you know, the, the Russian-supported Assad regime. They, as uh, Robert said, they've lost Sinjar to uh, the Kurds. Uh, it's hardly been mentioned. It was in the British broadsheets for anyone that cared to look at it because those uh, papers had come over to Ireland before the news had broken about Paris. But nobody was paying attention to that. So these attacks now have done something and, and it's uh, Robert mentions Professor Richardson she came to Dublin there recently and she spoke at the Institute for um, International and European Affairs and she 
It, it was very present because she actually talked about the fact that terrorists like these, what they're looking for is to uh, get attention and to legitimize themselves. Because what we've got to remember, and it may sound odd of me to say this I, on, on this particular day after the horrific deaths in Paris, but they're operating from a position of weakness. The, the attack in uh, Paris is an expression of weakness. They can't do, they don't have that many options. And this has uh, given them a, a position and appearing a perception of strength. And I have to say, I'm sorry to say it, but the French government have added to that by talking about declaration of war. They're giving them a legitimacy. They're giving them a sense of statehood that they do not have and they do not deserve. And we need to be very careful here. That and overreaction. And if it turns out to be the case that people have been arrested incorrectly or harshly treated or fitted up, it's all going to play into their hands. And I mean, this copybook, this playbook has been written before. Uh, it's been written before in the early era of George W. Bush. It was written back in the bad old days in the 1970s in dealing with Pyra, both this side of the Irish Sea and in the UK in overreaction and messing up and giving legitimacy. So we need to, we need calm leadership here now. We need to stop be a little bit more objective and take into account, actually take into account exactly the precepts that Professor Richardson makes in her uh, in her book. Uh, we have to uh, remind ourselves that we don't play into the hands in a kind of an emotive reaction. And I think maybe the French Premier felt to embolden his own population and to bring them together in a cohesive way. Talking about being in a war helps. But I think they need to be very careful in how they continue their uh, narrative because all it will do is give strength not just to IS uh, uh, within their own territory but to extremist elements and impressionable young Muslims around the world whose heads get turned by the uh, what they see as an exotic kind of entity like IS. Uh, Robert um, Declan outlining there what he feels France and the West should do, what do you think they will do? Well, I, I'm again completely in agreement and uh, fascinating that Professor Louise Richardson had said that in Dublin recently. I, I think um, there's too much politics around with this because the uh, migration uh, rhetoric, uh, which is related to in or out of the EU, is playing far too strongly in the UK. It's very, very interesting how people who just weren't of the camp or of the UKIP camp were rather shocked at the stridency of even Mr. Cam Cameron's pronouncements yesterday, you know, very much on the line of a lawn, we are going to take war to them. But what kind of war? The thing is that in the political leadership, I think they've got to be um, far more sophisticated about what is now being called, I think, um, I hope we don't misuse it like the term war among the people, but the war among the people has been uh, uh, succeeded by continuous conflict. And there is continuous grumbling conflict. And you don't do it by pretending you're Shakespeare's Henry V at half fleur or whatever with high-flown rhetoric. You want low-flown practicality. And I would like to take up some points that Declan raised. I think we are looking at a phase of reaching limitation of exploitation area of exploitation. On the ground, it seems to me that ISIS, ISIS and Daesh has come to a culminating point. They can't go much further. I don't think, I, I may be completely surprised and completely wrong here, but I don't see them taking another big city within the next few months. Anyway, and we got to look at the components, both there and what happened in Paris. Actually, what happened in Paris, again, Declan, dead right, it's sub-sophisticated. It's below the threshold of sophistication 
sophistication. It was Kalashnikovs, suicide vests, and blast bombs. And they are relatively simple things to operate, but very difficult things to arrange with only semi-trained people, which is all that they would be per, per force, uh, coordinating them. And that's the interesting piece. There's one of the things that I was just musing to myself yesterday about this. Uh, I wonder how many billions and billions of rounds of Kalashnikov ammunition there is around in the world. But even that being so, where you are in quite remote and difficult areas as to where they're working now, Daesh, I think, is going to have a great deal of difficulty with resupply, as indeed the Russians spotted with, with, um, with Assad. The, these things do run out. And the fact is that, you know, from the attack, the, the, the lightning attack on Mosul, in June last year, where I am cleaving, uh, coming over more and more to the conjecture that that was organized by a very hard practical element of Chechens. There is a Chechen element that the, the, they can use to a limited extent armor. And I agree, there is the core of Saddam's army, and they were radicalized in places like Abu Ghraib, for God's sake. Yeah, but th th that is so. But I, I am, the intelligence reports that have reached my way of this Caucasian element really hard, who actually trained at limited maneuver. Now that's running out because there are only a few thousand and we're about to go into a different phase. This is not good news or bad news because the really bad news is what you see as the process of atomization, the downing of the Russian uh, airliner, uh, the activities I think we're going to see quite a lot in the Maghreb, uh, here in, 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 in Paris in Baghdad, in Beirut, and probably yet more in Turkey. Does that mean, and I, I would be interested in getting Declan's view on this, are, are you saying that while, while Islamic State may ultimately be defeated, there will be offshoots of it and that we can expect that for the foreseeable future? I think it's going to evolve. I'd be very interested in Declan's views on this because um, what... This is doing, curiously, it's a paradox. I think that what Daesh ISIS, ISIL may have to yield its place soon as the brand leader in this. It managed successfully, particularly after the grabbing the land of taking of Mosul to displace Al-Qaeda as the number one uh, uh, in, 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 in internet chat, as the brand leader for extreme jihadism. That's why you got the grotesque pornographic activities of people like Mwazi, a.k.a. Jihadi John. But remember, he only had a span of activity of about four to five months, and then he was expendable. I mean, once he was doing all that... You know, he, he he knew he was gone as surely as these attackers, the seven attackers in Paris knew. Once they got out of the vans or whatever they got out of, we need to know more about that. They were dead. They were expendable. They 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 they, they, they were they were a throwaway people. But I think that the same thing may indeed be happening with ISIS, ISIL itself, because I think we're going to move to another phase, and we're going to hear of different activities elsewhere, because there are bottles where there are corks in at the moment, if I can use it like, like, like Algeria, which I think down the road we're going to hear an awful lot about over the next five, ten years. Declan Power? Yeah, no, that's uh, it's very interesting, particularly uh, Robert's mention of the Chechens, because I had kind of forgotten about that, and he's, he's quite right. Uh, Chechens, and not just that, but people uh, who would have maybe uh, cut their teeth in other conflict areas and learnt how to uh, properly manoeuvre troops and um, use of logistics and things like that that have been of use to them on the battlefield in uh, 
in their little corner of the caliphate. But I think maybe that's a, a further argument about the use of airstrikes in a sense that the more people like that get lured out into um, open conflict and get killed, the more that expertise and leadership goes. But then it begets what uh, what Robert is talking about there. I think that they anticipate this. I think that they've realised this and that um, they have put some thought into bringing the battlefield uh, to another location, into Europe itself, where it has, where it presents uh, the opportunity to do so, knowing full well the psychological impact of... Uh, I think Paris went beyond their wildest dreams, as they've said themselves. Um, I don't think that they had any real expectation that they were going to get in to blow up the French uh, premier uh, in, uh, in the stadium. But I think the notion that they were able to get so close, uh, the fact that they were able to launch multiple attacks, all of this has had a huge psychological impact. Um, so close after the Russian airliner coming down that at first nobody wanted to believe uh, that, they, I mean, and the Egyptians were, were so busy spinning and telling lies and the Russians not far behind them. So now, in a sense, uh, what they've done, and particularly their first um, audience will always be uh, the, the wider Islamic audience who are prone to believe conspiracy theories anyway. So now they're showing, they're, they're, they're showing a degree of strength. And I think it's literally that they're uh, moving, that they know that they're under pressure on the battleground uh, in uh, in their homeland. And now they're moving it to be able to uh, do more in Europe. How much they'll be able to do remains to be seen. I don't think France uh, was attacked because of its policies per se. I think France was attacked because they could, because it happened to be one of the places in Europe where there was a large body of an Islamic population, most of whom are quite happy to be French citizens, but within that population, you had the freedom of movement for them to organise. Uh, and to do so, with a stunning effect in a way that if you'd asked me a fortnight ago could such a thing happen to that extent in France I would have said no because the French authorities the French internal security services would be too good they'd pick up on it there might be an incident to shooting so it begs the question then do they have other elements? Do they have uh, in different parts of Europe that they have pre-positioned and that uh, will take their chance when they get it? And so it now now it really comes back to something our Minister for Defence said last night and other people have said it. The European community, the European Union, need to join up their thinking when it comes to intelligence and security. You have the Situation Analysis Centre within uh, Europe, uh, which does not have assets. It's just an analysis tool. You don't have the joined up thinking that is needed. I mean, there's a there's the, the Club of Bern and this ex, uh, exchange of uh, information between the 28 European states and Switzerland and Norway. I think. But it's not, uh, it, it's too cosmetic. And I think this is where the heavy lifting needs to be done now. Uh, Robert, just, just to close, uh, the awful events in Paris, it, it is the worry that we it won't be the last we see, that we will see similar uh, attacks like this, perhaps in, in other European cities uh, in the future? It must be, because there are there are real unknowns in this. Let's not mess around semantically with unknown unknowns. And that is their logistical capability, the forward mounting positions, the operational basis. The fact is that you can get Joe Soap off the street. You can say that Ismail M was, was regarded almost as, as, as a marginal, therefore not really serious. Well, he proved too darn serious. But who facilitated him and how? And that's why, you know, finding people 
people on trains going up and down to Belgium is very, very important. There's going to be a lot of fan dancing about Schengen, as Declan said, about cooperation. This is where I think that the government in the UK simply doesn't get it. They talk the talk, but they don't even know how to, how to get out of the pram to walk the walk, because there will have to be pan-European cooperation on security and movement of people, which does go with it, because I think that what we're going to do, we're going to have a lot of from the right, led by the Daily Mail and UKIP, saying, oh, let's slam the frontiers. They have no idea, most of these people, I think they do, by the way, but uh, they don't want to mention it, that that is practically impossible. But this is a new phase, but I am with you, and with Declan, I think there's got to be probably another big attack before we really do something about it. Mm. Declan, would, would you agree with that? And I suppose, look, to, to ask a, quite a parochial question as well, yeah. there will be people listening today saying, do we in Ireland need to be concerned or are we far enough removed from... Oh God, no. I mean, that, that argument has, has, has <laughs> sailed so long ago. I mean, complacency and glibness have always been the Irish enemy. Uh, and I think, to be fair now, I think last night the current Minister for Defence spoke about, uh, in a way that showed me that he has an, a really enhanced, probably more than most ministers that I've seen down through the years, uh, literacy about security and defence affairs. Our, uh, you know, to answer it in a parochial fashion, Ireland's safety and security lies in enhanced partnership with its uh, its neighbours, and you know, primarily the UK, where we do have the advantages. We're both island nations with a shared culture. We you know, we, we we look, think and act very similarly and we, we you know we need to conjoin our efforts even more so. And then that's within within one area and then in a greater area within our European uh, neighbourhood as well. Uh, the European neighbourhood needs to work better. Just as Robert was talking there, I was struck how many times in in this studio and in other parts of, of, of Dublin down through the years have we heard conspiracy theories going on about a European uh, hegemony, a kind of a, a European conspiracy theories about a European army and all of this kind of thing. Well, this gives the, 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 the real side to it. It's not as joined up as people would think. If we did have a more conjoined European effort and redraft the, the um, strategies about uh, not just a gathering of intelligence, interpreting of it and sharing it in a timely fashion, uh, we can make things safer. Physically, you're quite right. Whoever uh, the, the, uh, Trying to shut down the frontiers is, uh, is a foolish way and won't make us safer. It'll just give us a cosmetic enhancement. And just very briefly, uh, the, the point Robert was making at the end, inevitably more attacks in the future and potentially a large one that will ultimately get us to sit up and, and, and take notes. Although if, if Paris doesn't do that, you wonder what will. We have to prepare for that. We have to go forward in the knowledge that that is what is in their playbook. And if we do, then we have a likelihood of preventing it. OK, we leave their fascinating uh, insight there. Robert Fox, defence correspondent with the London Evening Standard, Declan Paris, security and defence analyst. Thanks to both of you for joining us back in a moment on The Sunday Show.